0: This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Beth Ann. 3,000 texts last month. us That wasn't a compliment. Sean. 1,000 texts? U G H. And you. You're old enough to know better. M Y O B, will you? Grandma. Mom, who could you be texting? Well, I-D-K, My BFF Rose. There's my response right there. Figure it out? What do you think of that? There you go. All right, somebody got it. You know, welcome to church. We're going to talk about a subject this morning. A lot of people are surprised to understand that though the Bible was written 2,000 years ago, there's nothing you're going to encounter in life that God doesn't speak to in His Word. Only God can write a book The 2,000 years later is still as relevant as it was the day that he wrote it. And so um, I want to invite you along on a journey this morning as we explore the subject of the e-world and how to use it properly in our lives. We're going to look at biblical principle for doing that so that we can uh, live in healthy and functional ways in our ever-changing world. Because, you know, it's amazing. If we had used the term e-world even 10 years ago, people would have looked at us and went, yeah, what, what would that be? Uh, and yet it dominates the landscape that we live in. And uh, so welcome along on that journey. If this is your first time to new life, uh, I hope I get to meet you before you leave. My name is Ron and I'm The pastor, or one of the pastors of this church, I usually get to speak on Sunday mornings. Although last Sunday morning, Kevin did a great job. Didn't he do a great job? Yes, he did. He's not even here to hear it, but he did. And uh, I I hope you wrestled with God all week. And I hope you wrestle with God this week because that's a great thing. When you wrestle with God, you end up in the right place. And. So I want to meet you before you go. On the inside of your program, you will find a half sheet of notes. I want to encourage you to take that out, follow along, fill in the blanks as we go through this. And uh, so I want to find out how honest we are this morning. So we're going to start out with a poll question, okay? How many of you, in the course of being in any church service, have ever glanced down And read an email, a text message, a tweet. Sinners. (laughs) I had my hand up too, all right? I try not to do it from the stage, all right? (laughs) But you know, isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? It's an interesting world in which we live. In fact, I found a top ten list, and I shortened it to five just so we could have some fun with it, but uh, we'll call it a top five list of you might be addicted to the e-world if, okay? Are you ready? You might be, this is number five, you might be addicted to the e-world if you wake up at three o'clock to go to the bathroom and you find yourself checking your email on the way back to bed. Number four, you might be addicted to the e-world if you accidentally in your, introduce yourself as, Hi, I'm David at gmail.com. <laughs> number three, you might be addicted to the e-world if you spend half of your plane trip with your computer on your lap and your kid in the overhead storage bin. <laughs> or you just might be a bad parent. <laughs> that, could, that could happen either way. Okay, number two. You might be addicted to the e-world if you get a tattoo that says, This body best viewed using Acrobat 9.0. <laughs> and number one, you might be addicted to the e-world if your wife says, Communication in marriage is important. So you go out and buy another computer. <laughs> That's a problem. In fact, we're going to talk about that later this morning. Um the e world it can be great. Just a couple of weeks ago, um, I was hiking up in Yosemite and having a great time with my younger brother, and um, it was fun because I was able to send texts to to my son Anthony, who lives in Hawaii, who would absolutely have loved to have been along on that trip. He would have just loved every minute of it, and I don't get to spend much time with him, so I was able to send him texts, and I. I I've, I remember one text in particular he sent me back, and it said, Hey, Dad, I love the Blow by Blow account. Keep it coming. It was great. We had this opportunity to connect in a way that just a few years ago we never would have been able to connect. It's a great thing. Just this last week, I received an email from a close friend who's in Iraq. And his family encountered a problem. And so he sent me an email from Iraq saying, Would you be kind enough to contact my family and minister to them? Asking for a favor. Just a few years ago, you know, if you sent it snail mail, I would have gotten it two or three weeks later. It wouldn't have worked. But the, email, the, the e-world can be an absolutely great thing. But it, can all, it has a flip side to it as well. In fact, sociologists are, are often dubbing this generation, this era right here, as the virtual contact era. Think about that for a minute. Virtual contact era. I was reading an article the other day written by a mother who had a teenage son who, of all things, was spending hours every day playing video games and... and um, IMing with his friends. And it struck her one day that all these people he's playing games with and all these people he's instant messaging with and all these people that he's texting, she'd never met any of them. And she realized that's probably not a good thing. So she got the names of his five or six closest friends and horror of all horrors, she invited them over for an evening at the house. And dinner. And they sat around the table, and conversation was awkward. Really awkward. And she was really disturbed about that. So after dinner, she got all the kids. She took them into the family room, and she sat them down in chairs and said, We're going to talk. Now, if you've ever had a teenage son, you can imagine what was going through his mind, right? But she did something that was way outside the box. She took the chairs, put them in the center of the room, and put them all back to back. And she was writing about her findings. And she said from the moment they sat in the chairs and they faced out, they began to talk. I was reading an article in the Chicago Tribune the other day. And it was talking about this very thing. And it quoted an 11-year-old boy who said... "And I." Virtually word for word, I always communicate with my friends via instant messaging because it's better and easier than actually talking to them. That's not so good. professor of the University of England wrote a book called The Devoicing of Our World. And in it, He says, you know, we are not just homo sapiens. We are becoming solo sapiens. It's a new word. You know, there's good sides, there's bad sides. This morning, I want to teach you just three principles. And if you pay attention to them, and if I pay attention to them, the wonderful opportunities that we have with email and Facebook and and Twitter and instant messaging and all the other stuff that's out there in the e-world, if we'll pay attention to these three principles, those things will open up wonderful uh, horizons for us that can be great and terrific and healthy in our lives. But I'm going to teach you the flip side of those principles as well. And if we don't pay attention to those, then it can become just as destructive. And so we're going to take a look at those. So Let's start with the very first one. Here's principle number one. E can transfer information, but it cannot generate togetherness. Would you read that out loud with me, please? I want it to resonate with you all week long. Ready? Let's read it together. E can transfer information, but it cannot generate togetherness. What can't it generate? You sure? What can't it generate? Togetherness. That's a really, really important concept. Now I want to read you three passages of Scripture and I'll comment between each one. So let's take a look at the first passage. The Bible says, On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. You might want to underline that last phrase, meeting together in one place. Why is that important? Well, this is... The birthday of the church, of which we are now some 2,000 years later a part of that same church. What we're doing here this morning was birthed on that day. And God was about ready to do an amazing thing in the launching of his church that would spread throughout the world. And even today, some 3 billion people across the face of our globe claim to be part of of what God started on that day. But it started by getting the followers of Christ together in one place. Something happens when we are together. Not just as a church, that's a great thing. Something happens when we're together as a church like we are this morning. Something happens when we're together in our life groups, which I'm going to talk to you about a little bit later. And it's a holiday weekend, and many of our friends are out visiting family and so forth, and some of you are family and friends who are visiting here today. But, but for those that are usually here and they're gone visiting family this week, they're having a great time with family, and something special is happening there. But whatever's happening here, they're going to miss out on. Now, yes, they can pull it up on the church's website. They can listen to the podcast, and that's better than not getting anything, but it's not the same as being here. Because there's something that happens when we are together. We are designed to be together. That's the deal. We're designed to have that human touch, that human interaction. And that's when we function best. Scripture number two says, "All the believers, I'm going to give you a lot of things to underline in this one. All the believers, ready, here's the first one, met together in one place. That sounds reminiscent of what I just read to you, right? And they shared everything they had. That's a little difficult to do from a remote location, isn't it? They shared everything they had. They worshipped how? Together. I don't think that was probably via a conference call. Or somebody broadcasted a tweet and and people all went hallelujah on their own tweets, right? No, they all worshipped together. At the temple each day they met in homes For the Lord's Supper, they shared their meals together. And what was the end result of all this togetherness? Do you see it there? They had great joy and generosity. By the way, as you look at those two words, joy and generosity, are those things that you would like to characterize your heart, your spirit, your life? I tell you what, when I die and... and, my family and friends gather together to talk about my life. I hope those two words come up in the conversation. That's a great way to live. Yeah. We were designed for that interpersonal communication. Now, I wonder where these followers of Christ got this idea. Well, they got it from Jesus. I can tell you that for sure. Because the night, the very night that Jesus was going to be arrested... And, and and he was going to be thrown into prison. The next morning, he was going to be tried. And by the next afternoon, he was going to be hanging on a cross, giving his life through crucifixion to pay the penalty for your sins and mine. The night before, I want you to jump inside Jesus' skin, and I want you to see not only what was going on in there, but how he responded to it. Take a look. The Bible says he took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and became anguished and distressed. Yeah, who wouldn't? He knew what was up. Now what did he do? He told them, My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Now look, stay here and keep watch. Where? With me. Wow. Wow. Could Peter, James, and John have prayed a mile away? And would God have heard? Yeah, oh yeah. They could have prayed 10 miles away, 100 miles away. They could have prayed half a world away. And the same God would have heard, but there's something that happens in the human spirit when we get together, we look each other eyeball to eyeball, and we have this face-to-face communication. And I can tell you, I've... I've pastored many, many people in the toughest times of life. And when we are in the tough times of life, we want the people that we love most and feel safest around, we want them right here. You know, in a way, you ever watch a little one-year-old or two-year-old that gets left with the babysitter or gets left at our kid's life ministry for the first, second, or third time, (laughs) and mom turns around and walks out the door, and the kid thinks that his world is crashing, right? My mom just left. Oh, no. What's going to happen? Isn't it amazing how we don't change much? Because that same kid who's one or two now, when he's 40, 50, 60, or whatever, it doesn't make any difference when he feels like his world is crashing, what does he want? Whoever loves me, hold him right here. Now, yeah. here's the principle. We were designed for human touch and face-to-face companionship, not just the exchange of information. Now, I want you to go back with me up on the mountain when I'm hiking Yosemite and I'm sending these texts to my son, Anthony. Because I want you to catch a principle. Just about everything in the e-world needs to be a prelude to what's actually real. Here's what I mean. We send these texts back and forth. Another text that he sends me is, Hey Dad, I can't wait till you get down from the mountain and we can talk on the phone and you can fill me in on all of it. You can only send so much in a text. And what he wanted was... I'm going to hear your voice. Got down from the mountain, picked up my phone. I called him. We visited for over an hour. And it was, yes, it was about the hike, but it was more than about the hike. Once we got done talking about the hike, it was about his world, what's happening in his kid's world. And, and you know, they got some chickens at their house because they got an a eight-year-old boy who wants to raise chickens in the middle of Honolulu, right? And, yeah, I... I, I Sorry for all you pet lovers, but they got seven chickens and a mongoose came in and made off with five of them. It's, oh, and he was telling me the story of his son who ran home from school and went down to feed the chickens and came back just crying. Heartbroken. You know, there's so much of that that you just don't get. You know, if I got a message from him that says, purchased seven chicks... Mongoose eight five and a frowny face. Is that going to do it? I don't think so. No, there's nothing like hearing someone's voice. But I want you to hear what took place in the rest of that conversation because as we talked more in that conversation, it gave birth, you know, the text was a prelude to that telephone conversation. But, you know, speaking with someone on the phone is still not the same as being there, is it? No, it's better than the text. It's not the same as being there. What came out of that conversation was, God willing, next summer he and his son are going to come over here and Eris and Theo and my younger brother Rich and his two oldest boys and we're going to go camp in Yosemite and we're going to take that hike together or a different hike together. Now we're talking about togetherness. Is everybody on board with that? Now, I want you to think about Jesus for a minute. Did Jesus have the ability to heal people from a distance? Yes or no? Yes. Did he ever do that? On rare occasions. Yes, he did. Jesus could have healed everyone from a distance. And it actually would have had a bigger wow factor. Right? Stand right over there. Puff. There you go. What do you think of that? But Jesus, how did Jesus normally heal people? Come here. now. Yeah. And the Bible makes a big point of He touched them and healed them. Did Jesus have the ability to bless people from a distance? Yes. Could He have blessed the children from a distance? Yes. But what did He do? The Bible says He came, He took the children probably in His lap and the Bible says he put his hands on them and blessed them. Can I tell you one of the greatest things that happens in church? Face-to-face communication. And in this church, we hug. You know why? You cannot hug from a distance. It just doesn't work, right? Something happens in the human heart when we touch. Yeah, we were made for that. That's important to know. So the e-world can transfer information, but it cannot bring what? You forgot it already. Look at your notes. Togetherness. That's a great thing for us. So there's principle number one. Principle number two is this. The e-world can rapidly Escalate conflict. But it rarely fosters reconciliation. How many of you know that that's true already by experience? Yeah. I got a front row seat to that this week. And I'm going to leave the names out of it. Um, But, you know, What's really amazing, it's really easy to hear a sermon and go, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh, and then somehow you get out in the world and you get doing what you normally do, and you forget that God spoke to you about that Sunday. God gave me this message on Wednesday, and on Thursday and Friday, I got this front row seat to... A a miscommunication that took place between a couple of people in the church and it got shared with a couple of other people and the next thing you know, I'm watching this rapid exchange of emails and everyone's getting more excited. No, no, no. Higher in conflict than the one before. So guess what I did? I sat down to write an email. What's up with that? And I'm sitting, I write this email, and then, nah, that's not going to work. So I erase it, and I write another email, and I erase it. And it was actually when I was trying to get the second email correct that God said to me, what are you preaching about Sunday? (laughs) Oh, yeah. So I did send an email. You know what it said? Hey, guys, this doesn't really This is not something that we do via email. Okay, Let's sit down and talk face to face because I know if we have one conversation, it'll work. Yeah. But you know, there I was. I was starting to get caught in the vortex and thinking I could solve this thing by email. So I want you to read this out loud with me because I want it to resonate with you. Ready? E can rapidly escalate conflict, but it rarely fosters conflict reconciliation. Wow. I know it's hard for you to imagine, but the Apostle Paul had a conflict with a church that he had established. And it's hard probably for you to imagine that even 2,000 years ago, people wrestled with this idea of conflict resolution and whether to do it in person or back in those days via snail mail. And it was really snail mail back in those days. Let me show you a passage of Scripture because this is a charge that had been made against the Apostle Paul. Paul says, I, Paul, appeal to you with the gentleness and kindness of Christ, though I realize you think I'm timid in person and bold only when I write from where? You would think he was writing an email, wouldn't you? Have you ever noticed how people can sit behind their computer screen and 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 the fangs come out, right? And they get really, really bold and they can pontificate and they can lay it all out there and they can threaten and they can do all that stuff. And then when you see them in person, they sort of duck. That's human nature. That's why email is not very good at fostering reconciliation because it allows us to say things that shouldn't be sad, and if we were in person, we wouldn't say. Yeah. Now, it's important for us to bring that, because I will guarantee you that many people sitting right in this audience today, God gave me, the, God gave me this message on Wednesday, and when did I have the first opportunity to be tested with it? Thursday. Okay. So there'll be many people here this morning that this week you're going to have the opportunity to apply that principle or misapply it, okay? Yeah, so here's how Jesus said we're supposed to handle conflict. And by the way, there is no such thing as people who share life together. Remember what we talked about in the first thing? And that is that, e, that the e-world can't, can't bring what? Together, togetherness is a good thing, Right? Togetherness has a downside too because it means people are in the same place at the same time. And that means inevitably when you put people together in the same place at the same time, two or more of them may not get along. Is that a surprise? No. That's life, right? And and so that, that sort of stuff happens. So how do we resolve this? Notice what Jesus said. If your fellow believer sins against you, that means not just uh, oopsies, right? This is an actual sin against you. Go, oh, doesn't say email, send a letter. What does it say? Go. That means you actually go find him, right? And tell him where? In private. Just the two of you. It doesn't mean you send an email to all of your friends to make sure they're all on your side so that when you send an email to him, you've got your army behind you and you're ready to blast. It means that you go to him or to her in person, in private, and you share how they've wronged you, what they did wrong. And if he or she listens to you, what great thing happens? You have helped that person be your brother or sister again. Can you imagine how different our world would be if we all actually did that? You know? If if every wife who felt like she had been wronged by her husband, instead of complaining to all of her girlfriends about what a dork she's married, right? Actually sat down with Mr Dork and they talked it out together. Yeah, it's amazing. Now, I want, to, I, want to, I want you to drop down one scripture because I want you to read this. Because this is how God says that His family, which is the church, His kingdom, which is the church, is going to operate. We will, what's the next few words? Speak the truth in love. We're not going to write the truth in love. Now, listen, there's a place to write. There's even a place to write emails. And there's even a time and a proper place to sit down and write out your thoughts and your feelings when you've been hurt and to do it either via email or with a letter or a note. But I want you to hear the rest of it. That has to be considered only a prelude to the conversation that needs to take place. Does everybody understand that? If that sets up the conversation, that's a good thing. But if you're doing that in place of the conversation, friend, it will never work. It won't. Because in the end, you have to go in person and you have to speak the truth in love. And then what does he say? If we do that, we will grow in every way more and more like whom? Like Christ. That's our goal. So there's principle number two. Here's the application principle. I want you to see this. We were designed for face-to-face and heart-to-heart reconciliation, not just emailed confrontations and apologies. Okay? Has everybody got that? All right. Let's go to principle number three. The e-world can deliver sexual junk food, okay? But it never, it can never nourish intimacy in marriage. Are you aware of that? The e-world can deliver sexual junk food, but it can never nourish intimacy in marriage. And you're going... Oh, I know what you're going to talk about here. Well, I am going to talk about those things, but I'm going to talk about I'm going to talk about something maybe you haven't thought of in connection with this. And it looks like we're having technical difficulties. So, we're going to go to Genesis chapter 2 and I'm going to have to read it to you the old-fashioned way. Are you ready? All right, here we go. You can follow along in your notes. Genesis chapter two. The Bible says that God used the rib from the man to make a woman. Then he brought the woman to the man, and God said, Now I'm, I'm sorry. And the man said, Now this is someone whose bones came from my bones, whose body came from my body. Now here's the here's what I want you to underline for this reason. You probably wouldn't think those are really important words, but they are. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united with his wife. And here's what else I want you to underline. And the two will become one body. The man and his wife were naked, but they were not ashamed. There's something really magical that's going on here. This is the very last of God's creation on those six days of creation or seven when he rested on the seventh day. And the last thing that God made was Adam and Eve. Actually, the last thing that God made was Eve. Now, the Bible doesn't say how God created everything else does say that he created Adam from the dust of the ground, and I would assume he probably created the animals from the dust of the ground, or maybe he just spoke them into being. But when it came time to create Eve, he did something far different. And you see the gentleness, the tenderness, and the intimacy of God in this. He says, Adam, come here. He said, man, I'm going to do something very special for you. I want you to lay down here, And I want you to go to sleep because, you know, as you look out here in nature and you see the pelicans, there's a male pelican and there's a female pelican. And as you look out and see the elephants, male elephants and female elephants, there's male and female across the board. But Adam, there's no female for you. So lay down, buddy. I'm going to make one for you. Now, I don't know what his dreams were, okay? But you know, that had to be a pretty exciting time. And the Bible says that God opened up Adam's flesh. He didn't reach down and scoop dust out of the ground. No, no. He reached inside Adam and he took out a rib and he fashioned Eve from that rib. Closed up the place and tapped Adam on the shoulder and said, what do you think? We have only a a summary. I'm thinking he went, oh, dude. Wow. Because what came out was, this is bone of my bone. Flesh of my flesh there was an instantaneous drawing together that happened on a level unlike anything else out there in creation and that's why god said for this reason because they shared a common flesh Because Eve's body had come from Adam's. There was an intimacy that wasn't like anything else. And that's why the two become one flesh. Now when you go to the internet and you get sexual junk food you understand how cheap that is compared to what God made? You ever put a quarter in one of those machines and you got what looked like a dazzling ring to you as a child? And you put on that ring with that monster jewel in it, right? And the silver all scratched off to reveal only white plastic, right? And that monstrous jewel fell out of it. And you re- yeah. Or worse yet, you went down to your local jewelry store and you thought you got a great deal on a real gold ring only to find out it turned your finger green. Yeah. I want to tell you that the e-world can only deliver sexual junk food. God has something better, way, way, way better for you than that. Take a look here in Hebrews chapter 13. God writes, Marriage should be honored by everyone, and husband and wife should keep their marriage pure. I'm not going to talk to you about pornography. I've talked to you about that many times before. I'm not going to talk to you about all that kind of stuff. Because I think all of you realize that's not good to begin with. Even those of you who might be hooked on that, it'll destroy you. It'll destroy your marriage. And if you're struggling with that, I want you to come and talk to me afterwards. I want to get you lined up with some resources because I want you to experience everything in life and everything in marriage that God made you for. But you know, more and more in this world, I was visiting with a guy just this last week and he was telling me, That his marriage ended and it ended with something that started with text messaging. And his wife started text messaging his best friend. And the next thing you know, they were texting borderline inappropriately And then it was definitely inappropriately. I want you to write these two words in your margin, okay? I want you to write sexual leaks, okay? In almost anything, a leak is not good, correct? Because it drains out what you're trying to hang on to. And I will tell you that if you ever send or begin to send text messages or you go and and you pull up something online and now you somehow you're getting a sexual buzz from some place other than the for this reason person that you have pledged your life to and been created for and you have become one flesh with. If you ever get sexually aroused outside of that, you start to drain the intimacy out of your marriage. I could talk about that for a long time, but I won't. I just want you to know. And if, if you use the e-world to, to build your relationship with your wife, okay, It's a prelude, are you ready? It's a prelude, not just to a conversation, okay? But hopefully more than a conversation, right? That's the idea. You don't want to laugh about that in church, but you can, all right? It's a prelude to a conversation and more because now you live in the way God wants you to. As we close, let me give you the principle and then I want to teach you uh, one more thing with... with, um, a relational pyramid, okay? The principle is this. If you were ever convinced or confused about problems in the e-world, you got it this morning, all right? The application principle is this. We were designed for sexual fulfillment inside of marriage not sexual release outside of it. Does that make sense to everybody? Sexual fulfillment in marriage, not sexual release outside of marriage. God is definitely wanting us to experience intimacy and fulfillment in the relationships in our world. And so He's given us What I call a relational pyramid. Okay? We start with the most important at the top, and the greatest and most important relationship in your life is the relationship, the point of connection that you have with God. That's why you come to church. That's what we should be doing. Okay? So we start there, and I prayed that I prayed this morning, long before you got here. That there would be divine appointments all across this auditorium this morning that you would come and make the connection with God. And if you feel distant from God or you feel like you're wandering from God, I'm going to pray in just a minute give you a chance uh, to to come back together with God about that. Second most important relationship in your world, if you're married, thank you, if you're married, Obviously, I can't write marriage and say marry at the same time. If you're married, the second most important relationship in the world is the relationship you have with your spouse. It's the for this reason you leave, and for this reason you are united in a way with this person that you share with no one else in the entire world. And you keep that completely pure. Outside of that, the next most important relationship or ships that you have are with your family starting with your children and then branching out into your extended family. Very, very important that you invest in those and the intimacy at the appropriate level and in the appropriate places. You should have a very close and intimate relationship with your family that you don't share with anyone else because they're your kids or they're your parents or they're your grandkids or whomever that might be. And then you go beyond that and, and you get to your friends. These are the people that you choose on your own to share life with. And you, obviously, you want to have close relationships with them. I was talking with a guy on the way in here this morning, and his world has forever been changed by God through this church. And I hugged him on the way in. I said, man, you are a great friend, and you're a great brother. I love sharing life with you, and he and he said, you know, I, if someone had told me that I could be friends like this with guys, and he wasn't just talking about me, he was talking about other guys in the church as well. If they had told me that, uh, long, I never thought that could happen. I yeah, you kept everybody out here like, yeah, we're we're guys, right? And he goes, wow, yeah, life changed. Why? Because. There's a real relationship there. And then last of all, the community. Because what we share on the inside of church is something everyone in the whole world needs. And what, it's, it's, it's the something everyone in the whole world is searching for. They just don't know where to find it. And God's given it to us and said, Now, now don't just take this and, 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 and keep it all cloistered in here. Take it out there. And learn how to build relationships with people in the community. I have two things to say to you before I pray. Number one, okay, you start here, okay, and get that right, because whatever you do here will help you with all the rest of this, okay? But there's something that you can do down here that will help support all of this, Okay? It can't. This is the source, but this is the support. And you know what it is? You'll recognize it if you've been coming here for a while. What is it? Life groups. It's the one thing you can do with your life. It's the one thing you can do in your week that will help you in every single one of these. Isn't that true if you're in a life group? helps you with every single one, doesn't it? That's why this is a church built around life groups. If you've been coming to this church for more than a month or two, I want to say to you, we have a whole series of life groups that are starting Um, in a couple of weeks. You want to get involved in a life group because it will help you at every single level. So source and support. And they work together. And uh, you and I get to be the sandwich in the middle. So I want to pray. And if you're disconnected with God... Then, then I want you to pray along with me and, and, and take that giant step toward God this morning. And if you're not in a life group, even as I pray, I, I, I want you to pray, okay, God, what life group do you want me to get involved in this summer so that I can have a proper support for all of these things that you want to build in my life and do so well? Would you pray with me? Ah, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for telling us the truth about life. Jesus, thank you for coming into our world and not just sending a text. Not just sending an email with the proper information. But thank you for coming into our world and thank you for not just healing at a distance, but reaching out and touching people, taking children and putting them on your lap and thank you for creating marriage and making making it so beautiful and wonderful when it's pure. And 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 so Lord, I pray for every single person here today, myself included, that first and foremost, we would have that soul-level relationship with you. That we would be connected. That we would draw life from you. And then, Lord, I pray that we could take that life and disperse it to others. And God, I pray for every person here this morning who's in a life group, that it... that that they would go to that life group with enthusiasm and energy and that they would go not just wanting to receive but wanting to share and wanting to lift and as so many of our life groups do and, and how wonderfully you work through them. But God, I also pray for every person here this morning who's not in one, who's never yet tasted what it's like to share life with a group of people who are going in a common direction and who actually inspire each other to healthier living and greater points of connection with you and with each other. Would you move us that way this morning, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.